So Daniel chapter 2 has been our theme foundational verse for this series. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, a little backdrop, has this dream of this statue. And in this statue, it's made of different elements. And at the end, there's a rock that crushes this statue, this idol. And so each week we've been identifying one of the portions of this idol and, and praying and believing that God wants to demolish idols that we have. And so here, I'm going to read this to you in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 31. It says this. This is Daniel interpret, interpreting the dream. It says, Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partially of iron and partially of baked clay. And that's the area that we're going to be looking at today, the, the legs and the feet that were part iron and part clay. Uh, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. How many of you guys know that God wants to be the only thing that your worship goes to? And so, uh, so I'm excited to, to share with you our final idol this morning. I'm not going to give you any clues and we'll identify it as we move on. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word does not return void. And so, Father, we pray right now that, that uh, as Jesus was giving the parable of the seed and the sower, God, the, the, the seed, your word, is only as good as the condition of our hearts. And so, God, we pray right now for a fertile heart. God, that your word would fall on our heart and it would produce fruit. And so we thank you for that, God. We want to leave here changed. We want to leave here better, not for our own benefit, but so that we can change the world around us. And so we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone say it. Amen. 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 Uh, so Halloween is fascinating. Now, I will say for some of you, you just got triggered because I used the H word in church. <laughs> it's going to be okay, okay? You, you can breathe. Uh, but Halloween is very interesting to me, and here's why. Because Halloween is the only day of the year you can be someone else and it's okay. Think about it. You are encouraged to be somebody else. Only day of the year. Now, last year it was funny because the production team, they pretended to be me. So they all dressed up in flannel and they wore the little beanies and they were like, we're Pastor John. And I was, and, and, and so when I found out who they were, I was flattered. I was like, this is so cool that you guys are dressing up to be me. I, I loved it. And it made me feel so happy, so encouraged. Now, fast forward a few months uh, from that, from, from last year's Halloween, I received a phone call. And it was my bank. And they said, uh, Mr. Peter. I said, yes. They said, um, we're just calling about what we think may be fraudulent charges. They said, were you in Reno, Nevada at Dolly's Playhouse? I said, no, <laughs> it wasn't me. And I remember I hung up the phone and instantly I felt violated. 
instantly I was like, oh my gosh, someone tried to steal my identity. I remember feeling just like so, have you ever had someone steal your identity? It's a horrible feeling. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I just, I felt vulnerable. And I just, I felt like someone was taking advantage of me. And I began thinking about how my responses to the exact same thing was so different. See, in both instances, someone tried to be me. But only in one instance, I was okay with it. And I began thinking to myself, like, why is that? Like, why was I chill with one party pretending to be me? And then the other party, I was like, no, I, like, this is freaky. And here's what, I, here's what I came up with. Familiarity causes acceptability. I'll say that again. Familiarity causes acceptability. In other words, the more you are familiar with something, the more you're willing to accept it. See, I was familiar with the production team. Therefore, I accepted their willingness to be me. Whereas I was not familiar with the group of people at Dolly's Playhouse in Nevada. <laughs> Therefore, I was like, I will not accept that you are messing with my identity. Now, here's why I bring this up. Today, in our final week of American Idols, the idol in which we are looking at is the idol of my identity. The idol of my identity. Friends, you got to understand that uh, before you were formed, Scripture says before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. He set you apart. Before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, before he hit that Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. Hey, before that was ever a thought, God placed inside of you an identity. And I, I want to submit to you that is, that is your God-given identity. He has placed something inside of you, your, your quirks, your, your, the thing, your talents, your gifts, your abilities. Like he has, he has formed and shaped an identity for you. And that is your God-given identity. But here's what I've discovered. As much as I have a God-given identity, there are things that happen within this world that I'm going to call elements that try and shape some other identity. In fact, I want to call it my identity. So though, though I have a God-given identity, if I am not careful, there are elements all around me that if I'm not careful, will begin to shape my identity and I will begin to embrace my identity over God's identity for my life. And, uh, and, and, and so here, here's where it becomes tricky and here's how your identity all of a sudden becomes an idol. When you begin to prioritize or focus your identity over the identity that God's given you. And in that moment, when I do that, all of a sudden, my identity becomes an idol. Remember, an idol is anything that I prioritize or focus more than what should be prioritized or what should be focused on. 
And again, I said it every week. If you are here and you are a Jesus follower, if you said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord, the boss of my life. Well, guess what? It's easy because now you just identified God as the number one priority, as your number one focus. And so we're talking about this idea of identity. Has your identity become an idol? See, I find it fascinating that you're in my very nature. The nature of humanity from the very beginning is one that, that, was, that was purposefully crafted to be moldable and shapeable. Think about it. You go back to the creation story in Genesis. What did God create man out of? Dirt, mud. The very essence of something that can be shapeable, that can be moldable. So I want to submit to you this morning that, you're, that you were designed and you were created to be shapeable, to be moldable. That it was by God's um, divine nature to make us in a matter that we can be formed, that we can be shaped. Now we look at Daniel chapter 2, the statue and the area that we're looking at today, the feet and the legs, and, and it's very interesting that, that the feet and the legs, they were made up of iron and clay. Two elements that by design were meant to be molded. That, that's malleable. And, and it, I, I don't think it's by accident that the, that the feet and the legs were made out of clay and iron because I actually think your identity dictates the direction that you go. And so the very nature of, of the, the feet and the leg being moldable and shapeable, I, the, the idea that, that your identity, the identity that you uphold to will dictate and determine the direction of your life. In fact, the idea that you and I are moldable and shapeable, I think that it's for a reason. I think it's purposeful. In fact, we read in Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, Jer God leads Jeremiah to a potter's house. And Jeremiah, he's standing at a window, creepy, and he's staring inside. And he sees this potter at this pottery wheel crafting and shaping this clay. And I want to read to you what he, re what he sees in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. It says this, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the will. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as he seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. So are you in my hand. Did you catch that? God was like, hey, you are clay. I am the potter so that I can mold and shape you to become the vessel that I've created you to be. 
Friends, by your very definition and the very nature, we are called to be moldable and shapeable so that God can continue to refine us, can continue to shape us. I am so glad that God didn't create me from a block of wood. Because the moment he begins to chip away at that and I mess up is the moment I'm discarded. But he chose to, he chose to call me clay. He chose to, 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 to mold me out of something that, that when I mess up or, or when, when I, one of my, my flaws come out, that he, he doesn't have to throw me away. He just begins to work me a little better. He begins to shape me a little more. I am so glad that I am clay in the potter's hand. And so by our very nature, we are called to be shaped and molded. See, some of us, we need to get on that potter's wheel and say, God, start shaping me. That anger that I got, whoo, is that anyone else? God, shape me. God, that the me snapping at my kids, that anyone. God, help shape me, mold me. Me snapping at my wife. God, help shape me, mold me. Me snapping at my coworkers. God, help shape me, mold me. We're called, we're created to be shaped, to be molded, to be crafted. And it's great news. I love it. I love the fact that that means that God can continue to, to, to form me. That God can continue to refine me. But here's the catch. If I am moldable, if I am shapeable, for God, by God, I also have to be aware that I am also moldable and shapeable to the elements around me. So as much as a hoorah that I'm, that God just shaping me and molding me, I have to be aware that things that I've become familiar with, I will allow to shape my identity. I will allow to shape who I am. And so I got to be careful. In fact, I want to submit to you that the enemy wants to distort three elements or excuse me, the enemy uses three elements to distort your God-given identity. Three elements. And here's the three elements, okay? Element number one, the element of culture. The element of culture. Hey, friends, the element of culture wants to shape you. The element of culture says this to you. You are your own truth. You are your own God. Whatever you want to do, as long as you're happy, be you, boo-boo. The element of culture says you are your own God. You are your own boss. And the more that I'm familiar with those, with the culture around me that's telling me this, the more I'm accepting it. The more my friends around me are embracing, the more I'm accepting it because I'm familiar. Remember, familiarity creates acceptability. So the first element that the enemy tries to distort is culture. The element of culture. The second element that the enemy tries to distort is the element of my history. The element of 
my history. The element of your history screams you are what you've experienced. See, some of you in here this morning, maybe some of you online, you, you have been a byproduct of your past. You've allowed your past to shape your identity. The things that you've experienced, you've allowed it to shape your identity. And before you know it, you are no longer modeling the God-given identity he's given to you. But now your identity has, has latched on to your past. You, you've allowed your past hurts, the past situations to shape who you are. And all of a sudden, we're now walking around scarred by our past. And isn't it funny that your history, the things that you've experienced in the past, the ones that cut the deepest are from the people you're most familiar with. The ones that you hold on to the most. Because familiarity creates acceptability. And the third and final element that would love to shape and to steal your God-given identity is this, the identity of words. See, some of you are byproducts of the words that people have sown into your life over and over and over and over and over and over. And now all of a sudden, you can't even see your God-given identity because you've received the words of everyone else telling you who you are. And I find it very interesting that words are based off of how people perceive you. Isn't that true? Like, word, like the words that people speak to you, that have spoken to you, are words are, are, are based off of how they view you. And if I'm not careful, I will latch on to how they view me and I'll begin to think, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe they have a point. And so these three elements, the element of culture, the element of, of your history, the element of your words, if we are not careful, we will, because familiarity creates acceptability, we will begin to accept what culture teaches us. We will begin to accept the history that we've experienced. We will begin to accept the words that people have spoken over us. And all of a sudden, I'm now focused on my identity rather than the identity that God's given me. And my identity then becomes an idol because I've prioritized and focused more on that than God's identity for my life and for your life. And so what I want us to do in our last few minutes together, I, I want to give you, when, when these three elements try and to attack you and try to help you, or not help you, they're not helping, when, when these three elements try and, and take your focus off of your God-given identity, three things that I want you to remind yourself, and then we'll be done and we'll worship. Number one, the first, the first thing, when the enemy uses, tries to distort these elements of culture. 
and trying to get you to believe that you're my, you're your own boss. Here, here's what you have to remind. Here's what you have to remind them. Ready? <clears throat> Dead people can't make demands. Dead people can't make demands. I want to read what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul writes this. For I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Friends, dead people can't make demands. And according to Paul in Galatians chapter 2, he said that if you have made a decision to follow Jesus, he said that you are, you are now dead to yourself. That is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. So now that simply means that when 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 I'm trying to buy in to this idea of like, hey, you're your own boss. Do whatever you want. You're your own truth. No, sorry. I'm sorry, culture. I can't do that because you don't understand. It's no longer I who lives. I'm dead. I'm dead to my flesh. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And last time I checked, dead people can't make demands. And so when, when, when the culture tries to tell you to be your own boss, you just got to remind yourself. Ooh, I'm dead already. My flesh is dead. I'm not my own boss. I can't be my own boss. Got to remind yourself, dead people can't make demands. Number two, when, when the element of history tries to tell you that you are your past, you are what you have experienced, here's the second thing that you got to remind yourself. Conforming is not my calling. Conforming is not my calling. Paul writes uh, in Romans chapter 12 in verse 2, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love the Greek word, the Greek word for conform. It literally means to fall into pattern, to fall into line with. Paul's like, hey, don't conform, don't mold, don't fall into, into this world. He says, but be transformed. This word transformed uh, in the Greek, it means to shape from one thing to another. To transform, to, to literally reshape into something else. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't conform to your history. But be transformed by the way you think. Be transformed by the way that you think. And here's why I think this is important. Because I have to learn to rethink my history. And please know that I am not saying whatever it is that you've gone through that has traumatized you, I'm not trying to discredit it. Please understand that. But I am saying at some point, I've got to transform the way that I think about that incident. I have to transform the way that I look at it. Like, yes, that parent may have walked out on you and it stunk, I know, but God is changing you. 
He's, he's, work, he's working on your testimony, everybody. I know that that, that, person, that, that that person that you started a business with backstabbed you. But my God, God was just shaping your testimony. He's using, we have to rethink that craziness that happened to us in the past. And we have to begin to shape it into something else. We have to begin to see it in a different light. He wants to transform us, transform the way that we think about the things that happen to us. Friends, conforming is not your calling. You are not called to conform. You're not called to conform to whatever happened to you in the past. You're called to be transformed by the way you think of it. And so three things to remind yourself. The first one, dead people can't make demands. And I'm hot. Yes, hot. Yes, hot. You know, woo! <laughs> dead people can't make demands. Number two, conforming is not my calling. And number three, when the enemy tries to distort my identity with words, I got to remind myself that I'm clothed in clarity. I'm clothed in clarity. Here's a verse that just rocked. It changed everything for me. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. This is what the Apostle Paul says. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I love this imagery. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on. Remember, I said that most of the time, people's words over your life is based off of how they perceive you to be. How do people see you? And then if I'm not careful how they see me, I will begin to accept that, and that's how I'll begin to see myself. But Paul writes that we are to put on Christ. Now, I don't know how this illustration is going to work. It might not work, but if it doesn't work, well, we'll figure it out for the next worship experience. <clears throat> Paul, says, Paul says, put on Christ. I think for a lot of us, including myself, what we get wrong is we don't understand put on Christ. We read it as hold on to Christ. And so if this was Christ, sorry, I didn't mean to jump you, Jesus. If, it, <laughs> if this was Christ, we read it like this. I'm going to hold on to Christ. You just, and what's the problem with this? Is people can still see me. They still see me. They're like, oh, he has Jesus with him, but they still see me. And here, here's the catch. I still see you. But Paul says, put on Christ. And so rather than me just holding it, I don't know if I'm going to be able to put this on. Hold on. This, this is what Paul is saying. He, 
He, he, he's saying, don't hold on to. He said, put on Christ. And when I put on Christ, guess what? You don't see me. <laughs> All you see is this thing that looks like a caterpillar. And so, so that's great. But, but the best part about this, you may not be able to see me, but I don't see you. Now all I see is what's surrounding me. And what's surrounding me is Jesus. And so no matter what you say to me, I do not receive those words because I can't see the words. All I see is what's in front of me. And what's in front of me is Jesus. Because I put him on. He is now surrounding me. And my identity is now what I see. It has no longer anything to do with what you see. I put on Jesus. Taking him off, I think. Maybe. I need help. The band can come up. And as the band comes up. Thank you. We can add that to the illustration too. That when I put on Jesus, can no one take it off? Come on, this morning. What I need you to understand, what I want you to understand, is that God has given you an identity. That culture, your history, your words is trying its best to change, to chip away at the God-given identity that He's given you. But friends, what I want you to see is that the identity that He has given you is gone. The identity that He has given you is priceless. The identity that He has given you is far beyond anything culture can say is far beyond anything that you've experienced in the past. It's far beyond any words that you've received. God's identity for your life is everything. Now here's the devil. If you're like me, every now and again, I like culture.
appreciate 